again to another installment of ultimate 11 uh, today's episode is a brilliant one that i spoke with the one and only johnny sharples johnny is best known for his uh, hilarious football content and football manager obsession um, and he was a joy to chat with as he took me through his ultimate newcastle 11 uh, a really classy team uh, some marvelous names and, and great memories um, although for the first time ever i had to actually a veto one of the selections that Johnny attempted to make in his 11. Um, but you'll have to listen to the episode to find out more about that. Um, yeah, so here it is uh, the glorious but gloryless Newcastle Ultimate 11 of Mr. Johnny Sharples. There we are. Johnny Sharples, welcome to Ultimate 11. How's it going? It's good. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, ever since you sent the invite, I've um, been brainstorming, really looking forward to coming on and talking about 11 uh, Newcastle players that have won a grand total of zero trophies while at the club. So um, for all the all the joy that I get out of them, they've offered very little in return, I think. Well, that's I think that's part of the part of the joy about Argument 11 is, you know, you're not just picking players that have, you know, got the biggest trophy cabinet and broken all the records and won everything in the game it's it's the people that that mean the most to you <laughs> even though yeah like you said their their sum total of achievements is pretty pitiful yeah i think like being a football supporter sometimes is like not every not every club there's one there's one premier league trophy per season so there's hmm. 19 clubs that aren't going to win them so you've got to take the little bits of joy as and where you can find them and a lot of that is just emotional attachment to people that have no idea who you are you know a lot of the time they they don't know you from the next next yeah. supporter sat in the next seat but the sort of joy and fulfillment that they bring you uh is just unmatched and my future wife who's downstairs won't appreciate me saying that but these these footballers have brought me so much joy that that is unrivaled and possibly nobody else could ever bring to you and I think that's the same for any hopefully that's the same for any football fan because that's the argument that I can throw back if I'm ever accused <laughs> of of loving I don't know uh Habib Bay more than I, I love my my future wife so fingers crossed brilliant and uh, how uh, how do you feel about the current era of Newcastle? It's a very controversial time. Uh, to say the least, I'd say, yeah. Um, one of a uh, massive conflict because obviously I've been a supporter for for a long, long time, long before the Mike Ashley took over, never mind the current um, owners. Um, so you've got this emotional attachment to a team and as a football fan, you have no say in, in uh, a manager, never mind a, a, who owns it. Um, so it's difficult, but you've also got to be mindful of the source of the money. And as a fan, just don't celebrate who the owners are. Don't take a Saudi flag to the match. Don't wear traditional Saudi uh, clothing and, and cultural clothing that's to do with them. Don't, as a club, don't include them in post-match celebration photographs which is something that we have done in the past and is very you know we're here because the, the the people on the pitch did a job we're not 
here because yeah. you were stood in the stands clapping. Um, and, you know, we've got to be mindful. I've said it a bunch of times that there's no ethical way to have billions and billions of pounds in the bank, but there's different scales of those ethics and whether it's like Jeff Bezos at Amazon, you know, not allowing people in, obviously that doesn't come direct from Jeff Bezos, but, you know, people in Amazon warehouses not having toilet breaks and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a world away from allegedly executing dissenting journalists and, you know, no LGBTQ plus rights and very restrained rights for women in that country and things like that. And you've got to be mindful all the time. So if any accusations are thrown the way of the club, they're, they're often legitimate accusations. It's not somebody trying to get clicks on the newspaper or trying to get a bit of attention their way. They are legitimate uh, issues with the people that unfortunately now own our football club. But as football fans, we shouldn't be answerable for those people. They should answer those questions themselves. And if the Football Association, the Premier League, were doing their job correctly and following the owners and directors test as it should be written, then we'd never be put in this position anyway, because somebody like that would never own a football club because of the various issues that are associated with it. So it's it's a one of massive conflict because obviously you want to do well and that you need the money to be able to do well. And um, at the end of the day, you want to see your team win trophies, but unfortunately, it's going to come at the cost of basically selling our selling our soul a little bit to yeah. to a not very nice or, or people that are linked with not very nice people. So it's difficult, and it's something that you know you've got to contend with constantly. But I don't think there's any right or or wrong way i do think there's a wrong way to actually i've just said don't go and wave a flag and don't go and celebrate the owners just leave them to it and kick up a fuss um when you can like on a podcast that's uh, about your favorite 11 newcastle players well i think that's that's very well said and probably the most eloquent intro we've had to, to <laughs> ultimate 11 so far so yeah that's a great start and i think the thing that i sort of keep clinging on to is that from a purely footballing perspective, at least, it's it's not as if, which was, you know, rumoured and there were all the memes and the jokes when the, the kind of takeover happened, but it's not as if you have literally, the owners have literally come in and bought, you know, Mbappe and Messi and Ronaldo and then just like turned it into a FIFA team and, and won the league. Like you're doing it with a, an English manager who has, you know, had a, a relatively good uh you know, track record, but he's not, you know, he's not Carlo Ancelotti or anyone like that. Um, and with a lot of players who were there before they took over, obviously they've made some kind of shrewd signings and have the money to do that now. And they've done really well. People like uh, Bruno Guimaraes and, um, you know, a couple of others. But, it, you know, it's not like you've completely just bought the league, which I think as a football fan, as a, a non-Newcastle football fan, I think it's good to see. And yeah, as long as Newcastle fans are constantly kind of challenging the regime behind the club, then that's all you can really ask for, I think. Yeah, and it's you know it's one of those things. This under my cash, say we you kind know, of boycott the boycott the club and and things like that. But mm. with these owners and the amount of vast wealth that they have, me not buying a shirt one season isn't going to make the slightest dent into their finances. Mm. And it's not, they're not going to notice, even if all 52,000 people on a match, obviously some of them are away fans, but you know, 52,000 people on a, on a, uh, on a match day didn't show up. 
that doesn't make it that doesn't make the slightest dent into the vast wealth that they have so what 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 options are available to us but like you say on a f- purely football side which is obviously it's quite difficult to separate the two often um, and the signings we have made have been quite clever and I think the best and biggest thing is the fact that like you touched on Miggy Almiron and Fabian Scher and Jolinton these are people that were at the club before the money and before Eddie Howe and Eddie Howe's come in and he's getting the very he's getting every squeezing every little bit of talent out of those players and we saw that when he was at Bournemouth because a lot of those players he'd signed when they were League Two and League One players and got them to be established Premier League players so whatever he's capable of he's obviously clearly a very good coach and maybe he just needed that little bit of backing here and that was a big worry when he came in so when he was at Bournemouth and he was playing like Dominic Solanke for 20 million pounds and, and this mm. but now he's got Dan Ashcroft and um, a really good sort of backroom recruitment team with him I think they're doing really good things Steve Nixon and a, a few others so um yeah it, it's it's kind of exciting in the fact that we can spend money on you know Bruno Guimaraes and, and Alexander Isak and, and these sort of players but they're, again they're not Mbappe they're not Neymar they're not mm. They're players that will develop Sven Botman as well. They're players that will develop, hopefully, as we develop as well and stay with us for a long time. They could hopefully be our Vincent company. I know he was bought before before City's money, but someone like Vincent Company that was there from the start yeah. and you know developed into this world-class centre-back and captain of this team. Hopefully, that's the same for these players that we've signed. They'll grow with the club and, and hopefully win as many trophies for Newcastle as, as Vincent Company did. Excellent. Well... Today, you don't have to worry about spending money as manager of Newcastle or of your ultimate Newcastle 11. You've just got to beg previous or current players to, to, to play for you. So how was it picking your team? Did you, did you struggle with any positions in particular or did you kind of just struggle in general or was it an absolute walk in the park? I don't know. As a football fan, obviously, this is never the first time that you've tried to think of what your dream 11 would be or what your favorite 11 would be so it's there and there's there's I'd say there's probably five or six players that are absolutely nailed on for for this team and that that would mm. probably never change there's somewhere it's a toss of a coin and it just so happens that today it's landed one side but if you were to ask me next week I could have picked a different player what well, the other yeah. player in that position <clears throat> and then some are just you know tough tough calls Newcastle have not been blessed in certain positions with the greatest players um, quite often. Yeah. And I had it in my mind that um, that I only ever I only wanted to pick players that have played for the Newcastle while I've been a supporter. So yeah. that means like Jack, Jackie Milburn, um, you know, uh, Bob Monker, even Paul Gascoigne. Um, I, I didn't support Newcastle when they were Newcastle players. You hear these great stories of obviously Jackie Milburn's goal scoring record. Yeah. Is is massive and Bob Monker last time we won a trophy all those years ago, nineteen sixty nine, just as men were stepping on the moon, he scored in the in the first cup final, and they're legends at Newcastle. But I've never seen them play, yeah. you know, never, never, they've never played in my lifetime, um, or while I've been supporting Newcastle at least. So I didn't think it was possible for me to really say, oh, these are my, he's one of my favourite Newcastle players because yeah. I have no idea if I was supporting Newcastle if I would have. Obviously, you would have liked someone that's scoring goals in finals, uh, yeah. especially as a Newcastle fan, because they've rarely come around. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so it was all, you know, players that have played for them in my lifetime, which obviously cuts the 
numbers down slightly. But um, no, I, I did have it in mind who, who I really wanted and um, then had a few options in other positions. I'll probably mention the other options when I get to those those positions as well. So I hope cool. it's, a, I don't think it's a team that, I think they could hold their own in the, actually, um, given one of the people that I'm possibly going to pick, there might be a bit of a struggle, but I think they'll, uh, they should do okay. Well, excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing it. But before we go into the players, um, what formation are you playing? Um, so in the words of Mike Bassett, uh, we'll be playing a 4-4 effing 2, just uh, in case my mum listens. Um, nice. she, doesn't know I know, she doesn't know I know any swear words. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, 4-4-2. I thought that was the easiest way to fit in all the players that I wanted to put in. And it's a, so a big thing for me was that I wanted to pick a formation and players that was actually functional. So I didn't okay. want to pick like a like a three five two, and then my two wing backs were actually, you know, attacking midfielders that couldn't actually perform at wing back. So I wanted yeah. to play a four four two where the players are actually in their positions and it would work if they were to go onto a football pitch and play together. It's not just completely fantasy. I've oh. got to you know, restrain myself somehow. I've not just picked 10 strikers. And you know, a goalkeeper. It's got to be a functioning team. So 442 was the best way to do that for me. And you know, I'm a child of the 90s, and that's the formation that every team played in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> if you deviated from that team, you were a maniac or a visionary. Um, and I don't think I'm either of those, especially the latter. <laughs> so um, yeah, 442. We're going, nice. we're going for it. Nice, nice and practical as well. I like it. Um I mean, it's completely up to you. You have complete control over your ultimate eleven. So, you know, if you wanted to, you know, put Alan Shearer in at right back just so that you can get two other strikers in your team, you're you're more than welcome. But it's nice to hear that they're a, a functioning eleven as well as an ultimate eleven. Um, I say that I now. Was... I say that now in advance. <laughs> but by the time I've read out the eleven players, there'll be somebody uh, working out the xg of this team and saying actually they no, <laughs> they wouldn't be able to function or what is their you know passing stats per 90 yeah. or whatever some article on the athletic complaining that you know twitter's johnny sharples claims this is a functioning team we're going to go into the <laughs> deep dive stats of it uh no so i think they are functioning and if anyone has any other issues um do it in a confession to your local priest i don't care <laughs> <laughs> well but yeah i'm assuming quite a few of these players are sort of pre that opta era which is probably a good thing for some of them but we'll uh We'll start in goal. Number one, who's in goal? So, so in in my life as a Newcastle fan, we've probably only had about five or six different goalkeepers, I think. Pavel Schoenacek and Shaka Hislop when I first started supporting them. Shea Given, and Shea Given was obviously a goalkeeper for, for a good decade or so. And Steve Harper, Tim Krull, um, Carl Darlow, Martin Dubravka, and now Nick Pope. Um, and so of those choices... The only choice really for me was um, my goalkeeper had to be Shea Given. He was an absolute servant to Newcastle United. When we yeah. he obviously played, you know, he played in FA Cup final. Um, he played in the Champions League, but we kept yeah. him almost prisoner, like for for <laughs> a lot. He should have had a lot. Like he was constantly linked with for a long time going to Arsenal. Yeah. Um, I remember like so often, like he was like, oh, Arsenal should go for him. You know, he'd be such a good goalkeeper for Arsenal. Arsenal, are, you know, scouting him and, and having a look at him. 
And obviously I'm delighted that he decided to stay at Newcastle for as long as he did. But there is part of you that sort of, for, like if you, is the old phrase, is it if you love somebody, then you'll let them go and things like that. It's like <laughs> Shea Given was such a good goalkeeper. He did not deserve to be stuck at Newcastle winning no trophies for as long as he did. And I just remember we lost 5-1, at, I think it was 5-1, at home to Liverpool. I think it was January 2008 or 2009. And he was man of the match. And we'd lost 5-1 at home. <laughs> and he was basically the only reason why that wasn't the first Premier League team to score double figures. And that was also the straw that broke the camel's back. I think he handed in reluctantly a transfer request after that and ended up at Manchester City as one of their sort of early um, signings, you know, when they were signing Craig Bellamy and people like that. Um, And that that was sort of a little bit past his his best and maybe a tier below. City were decent, but they weren't the city that they are now. That's probably a rung below where he could have gone, but he was just such... I'm glad he got to go and play in a World Cup and played in the Euros when Ireland qualified in 2012 because his talent and sort of career trajectory deserved a lot more success than he ultimately got. And uh, he just seems like a really nice man as well. And I don't think often nice men, nice people are few and far between in professional footballers, I think, sometimes. And he just seems a really nice, really nice man. And, and, uh, yeah, it's nice to have a nice, not someone unhinged in goal, which I think you often get. It could be a calming presence. He was just, he was just so good, especially when, like I say, we've had so few goalkeepers. It's just nice to have somebody good for a change. I think. Yeah, he was. He was the kind of epitome of consistent, wasn't he? Like he was never. He he was always sort of one of the top five Premier League goalkeepers, like every season. You know whether Newcastle were competing at the top, mid-table, or you know fighting relegation. So he was he was kind of the best the best player, well, not the best player, but like a very very good goalkeeper and probably one of Newcastle's best players every season, regardless of of form. Which yeah says a lot about him. And yeah, it, and a bit of a a bit of a deviation from that, like as you said, the unhinged. All goalkeepers have to be a little bit mental kind of sort of approach to, to a goalkeeping. He was just, he looked like he could have been, you know, an accountant or something. Yeah. And he's like, he was just, his shot stopping was just really, I know there was always questions yeah. about his height. Cause I think he's six foot or six foot one, which isn't tall for a goalkeeper, especially then when it was a lot of crosses coming into the box and a lot of mm-hmm. things like that. My abide, like when I think of Shea Given, I think there was a game against Arsenal at Highbury, probably about 1998. Um, and Patrick Vieira scored from about 25 yards. And my, I just have this vision whenever I think of Shea Given of him diving through the air, like it, like you would in a, like something in like the hurricanes or a comic or something like that cartoon, <laughs> diving through the air and really scrambling while he was in the air and not getting close to this shot. But he'd always, his agility was brilliant. His shot stopping was really good. Um, I met him a few years ago and I took a penalty against him and he saved it. And it's very frustrating. Um, my girlfriend videoed it and the video is just it's me taking the penalty hitting it as hard and straight down the middle 
Shagan diving to one side, but reaching out his hand to save it. Me kicking the air in frustration and then immediately asking Shay Given if I could have a photograph with him. So it's like, <laughs> um, so the, the annoyance quickly uh, disappeared when, you know, you get to meet one of you, one of you, anyone that yeah. pulled on, and this will come up quite a few times, anyone that pulled on a black and white shirt or in Shay Given's case, a green or yellow shirt because he was the goalkeeper. Anyone that pulled on that black and white shirt from the moment that they pulled that black and white shirt on is one of my heroes. It can only go downhill from them from there. So they can, you know, plenty of people have pulled that shirt on and I've ended up despising them. But Shea Given, absolutely brilliant. And it was it was nice to know that in he's also a very nice man, albeit a good penalty saver. Or I'm just a bad taker, which is probably more likely. Down the middle. That's what was the what was the context for that penalty? Um, so Shea Given, it was sport relief. Um, I think right. Shea Given was trying to go for some sort of record of the most penalties saved or the most penalties faced or something as part of sport relief. So you could just go down, queue up and take a penalty against him. And it was only yeah. down the road. So I used to live in Salford and it was on Salford Keys. Um, and so it just went down. I said, you know, he's there from like eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night or something. So when I finish work, we'll just pop down, maybe have some food down there and I'll try and take a penalty against Shea Given. And my girlfriend said, we, we were stood there for a while and she was stood there. She didn't queue up with me. She waited at the end and I was queuing up through this queue. And so obviously I asked for a photograph at the end of it. So my girlfriend came and took a photograph with me with Shay Given. And as we were walking off, my girlfriend was like, the only other people to ask for, for a photo with Shay Given were about 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else just took their penalty and went and you were, yeah, but I'm not passing up that opportunity. So um, no, I think, if, I do think in that thing, he saved more penalties than were scored against him. But uh, yeah, I think you'd, yeah. you'd hope so if he was a professional goalkeeper against members of the public. Yeah, against the 11-year-olds. Yeah. Was it a full-size goal or was it? Um, no, I think it was a, like a hockey hockey size goal, oh, you okay. know, like. Yeah. So, but going down the middle, it served me well in through the years, but obviously <laughs> it takes a brave goalkeeper to stay down the middle. And Shea Given was obviously feeling brave. Yeah. Or tired. Or tired. <laughs> I was going to say, that. after nine hours of saving penalties, he's probably just stood there. Bless him. Oh, what a hero. Heartbreak and, you know, wholesome content all in the space of five minutes, saving a penalty and then an everlasting memory of the, of the photo. Story being a Newcastle fan, really. Yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> cool. Given. Great start. He's also got a fantastic... Uh, fantastically titled autobiography as well. It's on my bookshelf somewhere up oh, here. Legend. Uh, but I also might like, I think one of the, one of the greatest things is when uh, Newcastle played Coventry and Shea Given rolled the ball out in front of him to take a, a kick and Dion Dublin had hidden behind him. Dion Dublin nips around and scores into the empty net and it gave birth to uh, Shea Given's the only Irishman that doesn't know where Dublin is, um, which <laughs> is a, it's a good joke. Good yeah, joke. It's a good joke. Oh, great start. Okay. Uh, so you're back four. We'll start on the right-hand side with your right back. So Newcastle have not been blessed with um, very good fullbacks, which will become apparent in the two picks that I make. <laughs> um, so... This is the only player, sorry, only contemporary player to make it in um, of the current team, and it's Kieran Trippier as my right back. He's only been at Newcastle for a year, but I think the transformation that's happened obviously is, is strongly linked with the, the takeover. But I think he's had a massive part to play in it as well. 
and he is an incredible footballer but he's also a really incredible leader from what mm. you see on the pitch he's basically Jamal Lascelles is still our club captain but on the pitch um Kieran Trippi has basically taken on that mantle as the captain and he's just brilliant that's that's even before you start on the fact that he's a really good defender really good you know set piece taker just brilliant I think what I compare it to is when Taskmaster first started on Dave and um, they were struggling to get it commissioned and Frank Skinner agreed to be in the first series of Taskmaster and after that everything else fell into place so all the other comedians that they wanted saw that Frank Skinner was willing to do it so they were willing to do it as well and at Newcastle once Kieran Trippier agreed to join the club He's a, you know, he's a, he was coming from the La Liga champions. He just won, you know, the the Spanish title with Atletico Madrid. Scored in a World Cup semi final. Mm. Played for England. You know, done a lot of done a lot of stuff. And so once he joined the club, I think it became a lot easier to convince other people to then join the club and you know believe in the project or whatever fancy way you want to say. And, you know, just try and win some trophies, try and win some matches. Um, so I think he's really good from that perspective and like I say Newcastle when you're trying to pick up a, a good right back we haven't had the best track record of fullbacks um over the years so Kieran Trippier basically a shoe in and he's from the um from Berry where I now live so that's nice and helpful as well um there's no statue of him yet but I'm sure <laughs> there will be there will be one in due course if he'd if he'd won the World Cup I'm sure there would be one now or the Euros because he went to the Euros as well didn't he so um, yeah. but no for the time being he's uh, he's not got his his his, uh, his statue yet but I'm sure it'll come in time but um yeah I think he did have a difficult time like he left sort of left Spurs under a bit of a cloud he hadn't done the mm. best for for Tottenham and it was a bit of a surprise when he went to Atletico Madrid but. From what I've seen, I didn't really admit I, I didn't watch that many Atletico Madrid matches. But like Sid Lowe, the sort of Spanish football expert, he seems to have fallen a bit in love with Kieran Trippier while he was over yeah. in Spain, and he has a lot more knowledge of the Spanish football leagues than I do. And so, if if he thinks Kieran Trippier did really well over there and sort of rebuilt his reputation away from the English press, then then he's obviously done well, and and that obviously shows that as well. We've done really well to convince him to come back over to England and. He's repaid us and done fantastically well in the year that he's been at the club. And, and hopefully, again, it's like I say with with Vincent Company at City and, and those early people, Zabaleta as well, I suppose, quite early movers to City and then they followed them through the project. I think Kieran Trippi is maybe a bit older than they were when they first joined City, but hopefully while he's here, uh, for the time that he is here, we can uh, we can win some some something I was gonna say some trophies plural but just anything really uh <laughs> yeah. the fair play award at the end of the Premier League season I don't know um yeah just win something for people that that, that took that risk and joined Newcastle Kieran yeah. Trippi obviously being being the first one yeah great player and pretty much carried my fantasy football team this season he was, he was an absolute he was a shoe-in from the start because he just yeah everywhere he's been he's he's kind of again been quite a consistent version of that attacking fullback whether he's playing right back of a four or right wing back like he had done you know for England and for Spurs or in Spain as well wherever he played and whatever kind of role or for uh, format it had been in he'd been chipping in with you know goals 
uh, from set pieces, assists, crosses, things like that. So he was a real, yeah, a real astute buy uh, for Newcastle and a no-brainer for fancy football captains. I think. Yeah, it's it's a proper like FPL stat. Yeah, he takes he takes corners, takes free kicks. His crossing yeah. ability is brilliant. He's a defender, so obviously get extra points if he chips yeah. in with, with bits and pieces. I always, like Matt Doherty. A few of my friends support Spurs, and I think Matt Doherty is a bit similar. He plays wing back, and he pops up with goals every so often. Like when he was at Wolves, and now he's yeah. at, at Spurs. I think he's a bit of a pre, uh, fantasy Premier League player as well. But he one doesn't play for Newcastle, so I couldn't pick him. And two, if he did, he's not a good clear and trippier. So uh, no. that's that explains why Matt Doherty Fact. is not in my Newcastle uh, <laughs> ultimate team. I hope that's a justif- to know. justification. Yeah, getting the uh, getting the important questions out of the way early. <laughs> um, okay, moving along, your back line. Uh, we'll go for your two centre-backs. So like, Newcastle have the uh, awful history when it comes to centre-backs. We had <laughs> Titus Bramble for a long time. We had Jean-Alain Boomsong. Uh, for a yeah. little bit. Uh, Stephen Taylor, God bless him, he tried his best, but he's been sent off twice for handballs on the line where he tried to pretend that he'd been kicked in the side. Um, you know, we've had Fabrizio Colaccini, who was, was pretty good, but had a rick in him. Mike Williamson played 150 times for us and is now player manager at Gateshead. Um, wow. So so we've had a bit of a funny... Like when we were in the When we were in the Champions League, Andy O'Brien was one of our starting centre-backs. And yeah. it's like, this is, we just had a shocker. So it came to, basically it was um, ruling out as many people as possible until I had two <laughs> left over. Um, so I did, I did nearly go for, and this is probably the our first honourable mention, uh, for Aaron Hughes, who came for our academy at 16, 17, um, and should have had a longer career at Newcastle than he did. Um, he was. He, I, I think I saw. I read a stat that he's he'd played football with Ian Rush and Jamal Lewis. And Jamal Lewis is now twenty four, and Ian Rush must be like fifty, late fifties, maybe early sixties. Yeah. So Aaron Hughes had an incredible. Another player that I'm really glad got to go and play um, an international tournament when Northern Ireland qualified for the Euros. Um, but yeah, I didn't pick him. Um, and Jonathan Woodgate was another one I thought about, but I think his career at Newcastle though was absolutely brilliant was quite short I think he was only mm. there for a season and a half and I think maybe that half season he had a couple of injuries uh probably the most talented defender if this team was being picked on talent alone which it isn't yeah. being picked on who my favorite players are he would probably be a shoo-in for it um but in the end I went for um, a pairing of Nikos Dabizas and Philippe Albert who are oh, two fantastic two real cult heroes yeah. like I think they're one of those names where you know like you see on a Twitter account for forgotten Premier League players <laughs> I can imagine those two cropping up on it um Nikos Dabizas scored the winning goal against Sunderland I think at, at the Stadium of Light we won 1-0 yeah because uh, yeah we were in our away kit I can remember that so yeah he scored a winning goal against Sunderland at the Stadium of Light so obviously straight away one of the greatest players that's ever played for yeah. Newcastle, one of the greatest players that's ever played football. Um, he's also a content machine because um, on Twitter, <laughs> I insist that um, Dennis Burkamp's infamous turn on him was a fluke um, it, for that awfully scrappy goal he scored against Newcastle. <laughs> 
like he miscontrolled it. Awful touch. One of the worst first touches you'll ever see. Managed to fluke his way around Nikos Davizas, pushing Nikos Davizas in the face. In the age of VAR, it would have been given as a foul. And then, um, you know, miss, miss hit it and it went past the goalkeeper. I, I'm, gonna, I'm afraid I'm going to have to disagree with you there, I think. But what I will say is I don't buy into it being, you know, as as incredible a goal as some people say. I would say that uh, it, I think Burkamp attempted, he, he achieved what he was attempting to do, but through sheer luck and a bit of, uh, yeah, a bit of underhanded technique, it sort of turned out a lot better than he could have ever hoped. So I think, I think he's, I think it's, it's unfair to say that he didn't mean it. I think he did, but I think he got very, very lucky. <laughs> I think Nicholas Davidas was a bit out of position, wasn't he? Like, he sort of took the touch and Davis kind of went forward to try and take the ball. And so then it automatically went round him. Whereas if Davis had kind of kind of put a little bit of a gap, he would have just controlled the touch and then or you know cleared it. So I think you can't really blame Davis for the goal. I think Burkamp meant it, but maybe not. It went better than he could have hoped. That's that's my verdict. Well, respectfully, you're wrong, but that's <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> this is a uh, marketplace of ideas. We can we can all you know we can all say things we don't really mean. Um, but I will say, out of the two of them, um, Nikos Davizas is the only one to have won an international trophy. So you know which is the better player at the end of the day. Good point. Um, Very good point. He was at yeah. Leicester by the time he won the Euros and didn't step foot on the pitch because he was injured. Um, but you know, Greece won a title. Yeah. But Nik- mm-hmm. yeah, Nikos Davizas was a really good. Really good player, and I think he's sort of a bit underrated in terms. Of, but again, Newcastle haven't had a wealth of great defenders. No, now we've got Shaw, Burn, mm. and Botman, and hopefully Botman will develop into a. You know, AC Milan tried to sign him, and their sporting director is Paolo Maldini. So if Paolo Maldini yeah. wants to try and sign you as a left-sided centre back, he must be all right. So hopefully he will he will develop into it. But Philippe Albert, like, um, I remember. Oh, sorry. I, sorry, I remember Davizas. Was he was he a nutter? Was he just mental? Or was that just like so. you kind of build that image of him? Because he, he was a centre like back. One. Yeah, he was a centre back. He had like a, quite a you know, really strong cheekbones and quite a <laughs> I don't want to say gaunt face, because that makes him sound like he's unwell, but you know, quite a <laughs> slim face and like yeah. the emotions and obviously the blood pumping through it. And yeah, I, I don't think he was quite the, you know. Uh, he wasn't Tamuri Ketsbaya against Leeds, no, no, no. And that sort That's, of unhinged. Yeah. But um, he probably had a bit of the devil in him. But I suppose yeah. you have to, don't you? Sometimes. But I just think he, yeah, I just always remember him being quite dependable, mm. and he scored against Sunderland. Um, yeah. So that doesn't get everyone in this team. Uh, Albert Luque has <laughs> not been picked, for example, not to give any spoilers away. But um, that obviously sets him in good stead. And then, like I say, next to him, Philippe Albert, probably the best. I don't know if he's actually the best central defender. Like I say, Jonathan Woodgate it was probably the best centre-back that Newcastle yeah. have had, in, in, certainly in the Premier League era. But Philippe Albert is much more of a joy because he was like um, a very attacking centre-back, which is a rare position to, yeah. to get in professional football. <laughs> but he just... It wasn't that he sort of... Like Sol Campbell, who... I, almost picked for this team 
because I really like Sol Campbell as a footballer, but his time at Newcastle was shocking. Mm. Um, so he didn't get anywhere into the uh, re- reckoning for it. But like he would bring the like he would bring the ball out of defence quite gracefully. Yeah, run up with the ball, and then once you get to the you know the other side of the uh, you know centre circle, he'd pass it out to somebody. You watch clips of Philippe Albert, and like you know. Peter Beardsley or Keith Gillespie would have the ball in the right-hand side of midfield, almost on the edge of the opposition box. And you would just, at the corner of your eye, see Philippe Albert running up without the ball <laughs> to join the attack. And he did it so often. And it's like, I know that was sort of the Kevin Keegan mantra was, you know, if we if they score three, we're going to score four. So it's all about attacking football and poor David Batty having to sort of hold the defence on his own most of the time throughout that era. Or Lee Clark sometimes, but Lee Clark wasn't the most defensive of players. But Philippe Albert was just, and that's what you would that. So Philippe Albert played for Newcastle when I first started uh, supporting them. And that's sort of what you want when you're quite a young, young age. You want to see people just going mental and just like going off on their own whims and doing what they want to do. And Philippe Albert was just an expert at it. We beat Spurs 7 1. And Philippe Albert scored, but his goal is literally like, I think it's Rob Lee is on the edge of the Spurs box. And it's that like, Philippe Albert just breaks from the centre of defence and just sprints down the field and gets plays. I think he plays a one-two with him and he's one-on-one with, I assume, Ian Walker and just tucks the ball into the net like he's a seasoned striker. Yeah. And then he scored the most, fa- my favourite Newcastle goal, which is in the 5-0 against Manchester United in, in 1996. And we were yeah. 4 0 up, and, and Philippe Albert gets the ball. And as many people have done throughout his career, lobbed Peter Schmeichel. But it's just a a great victory sealed by. Like if we beat Man United 4 0, it would have been exciting, but I don't think it would have been as memorable as the fact that we beat them 5 0. And Philippe Albert, one of our centre backs, chipped without a doubt the best goalkeeper in the world at that time. Yeah. And we beat them 5 0. That's. There's something about it changing from 4-0 to 5-0 that makes it all the better and doing it like that. And he's just, I wish he'd stayed at, he left in 1998 and I think he played on until 2001 back in Belgium. I just wish he'd stayed a bit longer because obviously after that, uh, Bobby Robson came in. I don't know if Bobby Robson would have liked him as much as Kevin Keegan did. Yeah, But um I think he he could have had a bit of a renaissance because, like I say, we had Andy O'Brien in the centre of defence by the time <laughs> Sir Bobby Robson was in charge, and I don't he wasn't a you know a bad player, but he wasn't you know the exotic names of Belgian Philippe Albert, but yeah, that was just just such a fun player, such a the exact the exact sort of player that you want when you're like 10, 11 years old, and you want him to score those goals that you can then go and try and recreate. Yeah, on the football pitch, and like you're never going to get your school shoe underneath a <laughs> foam foam ball in the way that Philippe Albert got his football uh, boot under the mitre. But yeah, just I wish I wish there was more players like that now. Yeah, you don't really well, get it... those sort of players anymore. No, and well, it's interesting you say that because I am, um, and listening to you describe him, I would have I would have absolutely put my house on him being a central midfielder because i remember you know the 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 chip against schmeichel um i think there was another game possibly against man united where he scored from outside the box <clears throat> and just 
you know, I, I would have thought he was he was the sort of cultured left-sided central midfielder, you know, not really doing too much running, getting into the box and, and popping up with a with a, with a few goals. So I'm absolutely flabbergasted to find out that he was a centre back. He scored he scored twice against City. And I think I'm sure he almost got a hat trick and hit the woodwork as well. Wow. I have a funny feeling that happened. Yeah, but he he was just and he scored. So we we signed him off the back of USA '94, mm. and he scored an incredible goal against Germany, where he plays like two one twos with different players on his way up the pitch, and then basically clips it round the German defender and slots it into the net. He was just. I, I think he could have been a. Yeah. I think now. If he was to play now, one he'd have to shave his mustache off because they're not they weren't really that trendy when he had one, but less <laughs> even less so now. Well, they're quite hipster actually, aren't they? So he could fit in that way. But he'd um I can imagine him being like a number 10 y not not even number 10, just like a number. I don't I really don't know yeah. what the difference between a number eight and a number six is. I'll say he's a number eight because that's a higher number yeah. and more like an attacking player. But I think he could, if he was playing now, would probably get moved into central midfield. And yeah. I think he'd do a good job of it. But uh, that wouldn't be as exciting as having his no. centre-back just sprinting up the pitch without the ball just because he fancied trying to get on the score sheet. Yeah, A and bit of a wear, maverick. Did he wear number four as well? I think I He wore number 27. Did he? So, oh, why do I think he wore number four? I don't know. I think he might so. have won four for Belgium, but 27, yeah, which... Um, Stephen Taylor then took on. And as we say, Stephen Taylor was a maverick in a very different way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> less good way well that's a really balanced centre-back pairing though you've got the kind of solid dependable you know defender's defender in Nikos Dabizas and then the marauding Philip Albert chipping in with 10 goals a season so I like it it's good and they're both it's all about balance this team yeah they're all about yeah and you're right you know they could they could play together probably um so yeah no I'm a I'm a big fan of that and then we'll finish off your back four with your left back Right, so this is a left-field shout, which is helpful given that he's on the left-hand side of the pitch. It's a, I'm prepared for you to say no, and I have a backup if you do say no to this choice. It's a player that has worn the Newcastle kit whilst playing at St. James's Park. I'm going to put myself at left-back. <laughs> <laughs> is this allowed? Now, this is interesting. We've never had to deal with this where I've had to potentially veto someone's choice. Before I do, let's hear who the other choice could be. So the other choice, it was a toss-up between two others. One was Stuart Pearce, who is a bit in the Sol Campbell mode. That I love them as footballers, but perhaps weren't at their best when they were at Newcastle. And the other choice is... Uh, Southampton legend John Beresford. Yeah. Um, who I would pick. So he played in the, the Kevin Keegan teams, but he scored twice in, I think it was a Champions League qualifier against uh, Croatia Zagreb. He scored twice in that match. And that convinced me as a child that he was a prolific goal scorer. <laughs> I think he might have scored a, pre a Premier League goal around that time as well, either side of that match. So I think he had three goals in two games, maybe or three and three games, something like that. And I was convinced he was a prolific 
goal scorer. And then I went back and looked at his goal scoring record when I was a bit older. And I think he only ever scored five goals for Newcastle in like 200 appearances. But he's in, he's um, basically who an ambassador you, for Newcastle now. Who would you pick out of those two if, if, if it versus you? I, a toss up between you and who else? And then I can make um, a decision. I've got because it's a Southampton, someone that's also played for Southampton, but also an England legend and Stuart Pierce's moment at Euro 96 is, is yeah. iconic. But I probably, out of the two of them, I probably pick John Beresford because of his time. His time at Newcastle was better than Stuart yeah. Pierce's time at Newcastle. So I'd probably go with John Beresford. And also I think I'd have more chance of taking John Beresford in a fight if that's how we have to decide. <laughs> that's how we have to decide who gets this left back position. I'm prepared to go toe to toe with with okay. him. Well that I tell you what, that does make it that makes it slightly more difficult, really, because not be, not because I'm a Southampton fan, but because Beresford is for me is kind of the the sort of iconic Newcastle player. Like I must have had about 400 of his Panini stickers over the years stuck on my door. Like it was, it was, he was sort of unswappable at one stage because everyone had about 11 of him. And I just, that's kind of like my peak footballing era. So he, he was one of the names coming into this that I thought, I hope, I hope gets mentioned alongside Warren Barton, who I notice is, is absent from your, your back four, but never mind. Let's, Let's di- hang on. Let's dig into this. So, it, what was the context for you playing at St James's Park? Um, I was invited by this, the, the the club sponsors, um, the betting firm, Fun Eighty Eight. If I would like to go and feature in a match for uh, some supporters, Twitter people, YouTube people, in a match against some local journalists, and obviously delighted to pull on my football boots and go and play it. The home of football, St James's Park. Wow. Um, How did you get on in the game? Uh, the team I was playing for won. I, right, I always forget. It was about sixteen three. So, and I scored, and I would have been gutted if those we'd scored sixteen goals, and I at least scored one of them. And it was a terrible goal. It was from about. <laughs> oh, I don't think it was. I think it was probably inside the six yard box, and it's just a tap in. I think someone else had shot, and the goalkeeper had saved it. And then I just tapped it into an empty net, but no, nothing yeah. can t- t- take that away from you. Right. And, um, and uh, were you wearing a Newcastle shirt? I was wearing a Newcastle shirt and it was okay. at St. James's Park and I had use of the dressing rooms and I was taken out for a Chinese meal by the sponsors afterwards. I don't know if that, that plays into any, any, any benefit. And it was 11 o'clock in the morning. So trying to eat a Chinese banquet at 11 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Is pay is difficult, but at least I got to, and and you should be impressed that it took me this long into the recording to mention the fact that I've played at St James's that's, Park because it's usually true. the first thing that I mention to to anyone that I meet when my when my youngest niece was first born. I think that's you know I'm Uncle Johnny. I've played at St James's Park. <laughs> Not that bothered. Don't think she really understood the relevance. Um, but yeah, and okay. and right, if it makes it easier for you. I started off my footballing career at left back, then moved to left midfield, then moved to striker. So, um, were you ever in I, I can... a, a Newcastle United academy or anything as a youngster? No, not in any academy. I played for uh, my Y4 in the Penwitham Priory 
high school uh, into form football, captain the team to victory in year nine, if that makes uh, any spot of difference. I think, do you know, I think I'm not going to make a decision now. We're going to go through the rest of the team. And then when I, when I read out your team at the end, I'm going to make a judgment call. This is like because... an M. Night, Sh- M. Night Shyamalan Shumai- <laughs> twist at the end of the uh, 11 to find out who's going to get the coveted left back spot. There we go. Right. So let's, let's go through and, and, don't like be aware like the decisions that you make between now and the end of, of your ultimate 11 could could weigh heavily on that ultimate choice that i make but we'll start on the right hand side of your midfield four is it flat four diamond flat, flat four i think they could uh, yeah i'd say flat four um okay. the two central midfielders complement each other but quite similar in in how they like to play so starting on the right hand side is this this there was two absolute shoe-ins um one might be quite obvious, Shefty yeah. Coochie, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to him. Um, but this one was the other one, and it's Norberto Solano, who, in Lush. my opinion, is the most underrated player in Premier League history. So underrated that when people talk about the most underrated players in Premier League history, he rarely gets mentioned, if ever yeah. gets mentioned. <clears throat> He's not a Makalele or a Kante underrated player where everyone underrates them and they're, so they're not really underrated. He's just, he, I think he's in the top 20 all-time Premier League assist makers. I think he has about 50 Premier League goals from the right-hand side of midfield. His set pieces were fantastic. I think Alan Shearer calls him one of the greatest, you know, players, teammates to have played alongside basically because he put, would put it on a plate for yeah. Alan Shearer routinely. Captain Newcastle at times, played at right back for Newcastle, was always willing to always willing to fill in where he needed to. Uh, moved away from Newcastle and moved back because yeah. we realised that it was a massive mistake to sell him to Aston Villa. And I think because he really loved the area. And he used to ring Bobby Robson up from a withheld number and play the trumpet down the phone to him. <laughs> so uh, there's also that as well and um i don't know if you've ever heard this story there's a lot of stories about newcastle doing secret santas one of them is that when diddy haman was at newcastle he got the secret santa gift of mein Kampf because he was german uh someone else also bought alessandro pistoni uh a lamb's heart or a sheep's heart because they said he didn't have any heart of his own which is a bit cutting <laughs> for a secret santa gift but apparently allegedly once um duncan ferguson when he was at Newcastle, tried to buy uh, Norberto Solano a llama, a live llama, <laughs> because he's Peruvian. Um, <laughs> so it's probably either that or some pan pipes. Um, so I tried to buy him a llama and could not find anyone that was willing to sell Duncan Ferguson a live llama in the Northeast, which I think is a legitimate fear for any llama breeder, why, you, <laughs> why Duncan Ferguson would want one. But Solano was just... In both spells at Newcastle, he sort of came, and it's that time where you don't really get it anymore, and I know that's a bit of a cliche, where players would join your team and you would have absolutely no idea of anything about them. Yeah. Like nowadays, you can maybe go on YouTube and find a, a goal compilation of someone, even if it's just, you know, some, some you know, teenager in a room in, say you're signing someone from Chile, some a mm. Chilean kid on YouTube will have made a compilation of this guy. But this was a time when like, Norberto Solano came over from, from Peru he'd played at Boca Juniors he played alongside Diego Maradona so he did have some pedigree 
but no one really knew anything about him. And I think yeah. maybe expectations were so low that that's why he became this sort of cult hero, incredible player so quickly. And he was just, yeah, just absolutely brilliant. Like, he just so unassuming as well. But I think he yeah. adopted sort of the Northeast lifestyle really well. And like, like Alan Shearer said, just a perfect teammate if you're a striker that likes to score headed goals, likes crosses into the box. There weren't very many better at it than than Solano. Yeah, I just remember him as as being so supremely talented, like the kind of the kind of flair players that again you didn't really have too many of in the late nineties. Quite a bit of a luxury player, I imagine. Like I'm I'm sort of making the assumption here, but I can't imagine he did too much defending. Um, but yeah, I I can only remember him scoring great goals. That's I think that sort of says quite a bit about him, and. Just yeah, and again is another of those kind of classic late nineties Premier League names that you sort of scream as you're volleying a ball over the bar, playing five aside. Yeah, it happened quite frequently. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I also have a Newcastle shirt from uh the late nineties. I think it's ninety-eight, ninety-nine, the last one where we had Newcastle Brown Ale as the sponsor, and it has Solano 15 on the back. And yeah. um my parents bought it for me for my birthday um, in a medium with the promise that I would grow into it. And it's now <laughs> 24 years later and I still haven't grown into it. So um, <laughs> I still have it. It's one of the few kits that, um, I managed to keep hold of. Um, but yeah, just it's just, you know, he scored an incredible goal against Everton. This must have been about 2004 where we played it down the left-hand side and then he was sort of, just the other side of the the D and Everton's box outside of the foot curled it into the opposite corner. And it is yeah, just I think that's what I remember, yeah. such a beautiful goal, such a beautiful player, a beautiful yeah. man. Um, yeah. Like absolute shooing for this. There were no other options when I was thinking of who I could put on the right hand side of midfield. No, no one else came to yeah. mind apart from Norberto Solano and his trumpet. What a, what a perfect ultimate 11 player. Big fan of that. Uh, so moving along, central midfield partnership. You said they sort of complement each other. We've got a bit of a... I think they're, sort of, they're a bit similar, but I think they can do a bit of everything. So I think if one was to attack, the other one would be quite happy sitting and vice versa. So I've gone for Robert Lee and Gary Speed as the two central midfielders. Um, just two two men that seem really nice as well. He's already said about Shea Given, but two really... Now, Rob Lee was my first, apart from Alan Shearer, who may, may or no spoilers, may or may not get into this team. We'll see. Um, apart from Alan Shearer as the first Newcastle player that I absolutely adored. Um, I had his name on the back of one of my shirts, but that's because my mum and dad refused to pay per letter to get Shearer. So I had Lee instead because it was a lot cheaper. It's only three letters. Um, but Rob, Rob Lee was, he sort of could do just about, he didn't look like a foot, he didn't look like an athlete. Yeah. Um he just looked like a bloke, but he could he was really like played 21 times for England. He was, you know, a good player. He went to the 1998 World Cup. He was a good player and he could do a pretty much a bit of everything. A bit sort of like Lampard. He liked to get into the box at the last last opportunity and score score a goal. Captain was club captain at Newcastle um after Beardsley left and before Shearer took over. And he's just a really Good player. I've had a massive fallout with uh, 
Reed Hullet. Reed Hullet refused to give him a squad number. And then uh, Rob Lee won at the end of the day. Hullet got sacked and Bobby Robson brought Lee back into the team. And I think he was also a good uh, um, sort of mentor for the younger players that we had at Newcastle as well. And he, he knew what it was to be, it's going to sound like no club is has more or less sort of history than any other club, really. So to stand up, you know, when they say, like, oh, it's the West Ham way of playing or whatever. Yeah. That's all, always what is what 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 singles them out from everything. So I'm going to sort of contradict myself now. So, he, but he knew what it was to play, knew what it meant to play for Newcastle. Yeah. Knew what, it, you know, he, he's from London. I think he's from the East End. Um, I think he's a West Ham fan. But he sort of joined Newcastle and respected the fans and respected the club. What wanted to do his best for it, and yeah, Rob Rob Lee was such a good good player. Nowadays, he's sort of is it Rich Energy, the dodgy energy drink, and this the guy that owns Rich Energy is always saying, oh, "I'll buy Coventry, I'll buy Sunderland, I'll sponsor one of the F one teams," and he, he doesn't have any money. But uh, Rob Lee has a, a link to him somehow. So oh, wow. uh, yeah, bit bit bit, but he's just he always, he also just seems like a nice bloke, and I'm sure he's like I've read his autobiography. It's one of the worst books that I've ever had the misfortune of, <laughs> of reading. Um, so uh, yeah, he'll uh, just hope that uh, hope that he's not hawking these uh, energy drinks too much. But he's just a really good, really good player, and I don't think he'd really fit in into modern football now because I think he's. He'd really have to work on his athleticism. Uh, yeah, I was my... going to say he's he sort of doesn't really fit the mold of any kind of midfielder you can imagine playing nowadays. He sort of, <clears throat> I sort of can't really remember him doing anything, but, <laughs> but have heard lots of people talk about how you know how talented he was and how you know how good he was and how <clears throat> how kind of you know intelligent he was as a footballer. Yeah. And I it's think like, that was that was the era for those kind of players. You know, the, you didn't have to, you know, be Ronaldo in terms of your athleticism. You could just sort of wander about in the middle of the park with great feet and play at the highest level in England. <laughs> yeah, play for the national team. But he's just, yeah. and he's brought he's uh, Alan Shearer's best mate, which helps. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's just he was. Very good. I, yeah, there's just no one I think you can really compare him to nowadays, um, just because of you know the sort of he must have you know had levels of athleticism, had levels of fitness, but he just never looked like he did. And I think it was compounded by the fact that one of the one of the things that always sticks out in my head is we were playing against Manchester United, and Rob Lee was running through on goal. And I think it's the slowest I've ever seen anybody run without going backwards. And then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just completely wipes him out and gets a red card. And Solskjaer walks off the pitch before the referees even got to him because he knows it's a straight red. But God bless Rob Lee. He made yeah. the most... I think the, the thing you can say about him is he made the most of the talents that he had. I think that's obviously what people say about Frank Lampard a bit and a few other, a few other players. But I think that's the true of Rob Lee. He got everything out of himself that he could have mm-hmm. done. Um, went on to play for West Ham and Wickham after he left Newcastle. Um, he sort of t- his career tailed out very quickly at the end when he was at Wickham, I think. But you know, he was a good, really good player. I, I absolutely, I don't know what it was about him, but I absolutely adored him when I was younger. 
Um, yeah. And alongside him is I, I, one of the one of the best one of the best players to have played for Newcastle. One of the best Premier League players, I think. Again, under I, I would say he's underrated, but I don't think he's in that mould. He's, he's played over five hundred times in the Premier League. Yeah. Gary Speed. I think everyone speaks of him in the highest regard. And when he was at Newcastle, like he could do things with his head that a lot of people struggle to do with their feet playing football. Like his head ability, his left, obviously the left foot was really good. He could play, I think he played at left back, left midfield, central midfield. He could play as a number 10 defensively. He could do so, so much. And um, I'm really happy that Newcastle got a good few years out of it. He won the title when he was at Leeds, was really good at Everton, came to Newcastle. He played on until his early 40s, so nothing to yeah, say he couldn't have played for Newcastle longer than he did. Um, I think as well, you know, obviously, we, you know, he, he's, he passed away um, nine years or so, no, t- 10, 11 years ago. Mm. And um, I think his management career could have been so brilliant. He was on to such a good thing with Wales, and obviously Wales continued that with Chris Coleman at the Euros and carried it on afterwards as well, reaching the World Cup with those a lot of those players that Gary Speed gave their debuts to. And if things were different, he could have been a potential Newcastle manager or, you know, even higher than that. He, he really seemed to be on some onto something really great in his managerial career. But unfortunately, there was obviously other stuff happening that we weren't party to as the general public and why should we be? Um, he had his own, own, own life and unfortunately um, that ended. And... I think I think that really brought into focus just how much of a gentleman, how much of a great footballer he was, because people wanted to speak about the great things about him after he passed away. Mm. And uh, from what you read and what you see, there were lots and lots and lots of incredible things that he he did and he was able to do. And um, I think he's sorely missed now and could have yeah. been, yeah, like I say, would have been an, an incredible, I'm sure, on the trajectory that his managerial career was on, he would could have been one of the best British managers at the moment. Um, not he's quite slim picking, so that might not be saying much, but <laughs> was 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 onto such a good thing with Wales. And whether they did whether they got to the semi-final under him, as they did with Chris Coleman, it's impossible to say. But he was really, you know, bedding in a lot of these players, Gary, uh, Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey and you know, Neil Taylor, a lot of the ones that went on to do so well in that team would have cited him as their sort of their main mentor, I guess. Yeah, one of I mean one of the most sort of well revered players that's ever played in the Premier League. I think, and I think as you kind of described him there, like the way he could he could play in any position, but he was also he you know he was also a sort of a match winner in terms of you know he could pick people up by the scruff of the neck and get them over the line, and he was a leader, but he was also good enough to score goals you contribute with you know going forward to help you know in an attacking sense help teams win and I can't really think I mean maybe people will speak about James Milner in terms of his career in a similar kind of vein sort of utility player but actually you know was 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 good enough at everything to play in every position he wasn't just uh wasn't just reliable he was you know he's also supremely talented um but I can't really think of any anyone else who's like that. You know, when you think of the other players that have played that many games in the Premier League, majority of them are goalkeepers. And then the rest of them are, you know, sort of 
for want of a better phrase, sort of one-dimensional players like, you know, Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes and Jamie Carragher, who, you know, were exceptional in at one thing or in one position. So yeah. And yeah, an absolute, an absolute legend. And yeah, sorely, sorely missed by everyone in football, I think. Yeah, I don't think yet, I especially when he passed away, you didn't see see anyone have a bad word to say about him either. Um so I think he was just such a such a brilliant man, such a brilliant footballer. Yeah, great left foot. Which brings us to your left winger. Now, there's one name that I really hope you say here, and it's not Johnny Sharples. But <laughs> well, I'm just going to double my opportunity to be included in this <laughs> note. Um, so there was two two players that um, that I, I've strongly considered, and I think this is the most one where it was the flip of a coin. If you asked me another time. It would have been the other one, could have been the other one. And those two players, one is David Ginola, and the other one who ultimately made it into the team is Laurent Robert. Yes, yes. Love that. Love Laurent Robert. Ginola, yeah, I think, you know, great player, but potentially played better. I've I've done a few episodes with Tottenham fans. Ginola's made it into both teams, probably had his best years there, but... I'm very, very glad that Lauren Robert has made it into your team. So with Ginola, I think I'll speak a little bit about him. He was sort of, so I mentioned about Kieran Trippier before, about him being the one that's opened the door to a lot yeah. of other things coming coming into the club. I think David Ginola is a bit like that in the mid-90s. If we When we got him from PSG, I think that opened the door for us to sign people like Espria um, mm. and others afterwards, um, because they thought if Ginola is willing to go uh, French international, brilliant player, you know, played for PSG, played at the top level in France. If he's willing to take that move to the northeast as a very cultured, you know, very handsome, very flamboyant man, you know, going and getting roughed up in the northeast by, you know, I don't know, Wimbledon players and Alan Kimball or something. I don't know. <laughs> if he's willing to do that, then we we can follow. And I think that David Gilla, absolutely brilliant, you know, scored on his debut was told off for smoking on the team coach all sorts of stuff again he's only there for two years um before he moved on and it's just a shame that we didn't get him for longer we could have had him for those peak years when he was at Tottenham Mm -hmm. um if we kept hold of him and kept hold of Les Ferdinand and not replaced him with John Barnes and Ian Rush but that's a different story for a different day um Kenny Dalglish um but uh yeah Ginola was brilliant but Laurent Robert a bit like what I said about Philippe Albert, they're the sort of players that you want to see, players that just do what they want. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, just mavericks. Just, and we've had a few and they all seem to be French left wingers and Zogbia was more of a maverick than a good footballer. Hatton Ben Arthur was somewhere in the middle. Um, but Laurent Robert was just, he got the ball and his first instinct was just, can I hit this as hard as I can towards the goal? (laughs) And more often than not, I say that without the benefit of hindsight, really, just with a clouded childlike mind, they went in the net. Like he'd just score, he'd just get the ball and smack it as hard as he could. And it would go in. I remember there was, maybe it was, maybe it was condensed into one season or there was a period of time where he just scored like worldy after worldy after worldy it was almost like every month on match of the day the goal of the month there would be a Lauren Robert contender and there was 
you know, there was once where he sort of get it out of his feet and just smash it. And then he's, I think I remember him scoring some incredible volleys as well from distance. Like that just, he had no right to score from like position. No, he scored, positionally wise. We beat Tottenham and he scored two goals and they were almost identical. Yeah. But they were just him getting hold of the ball and just smashing it as hard as he could. Sometimes like they would go top corner. Sometimes you'd look at them and think the goalkeeper could have done a lot better there. But yeah. I've never had to face a shot coming at me from Laurent Robert's left foot. I don't know if that's the best yeah. that you can hope for is that it doesn't break <laughs> your wrist. And so you do what you can. But he was just, he was lazy as anything. Like, yeah. I think the thing, so Robert and Solano were on the wings for for when we had Bellamy and Shearer up front and Genus, Dyer, Speed and Central Mid. That's when we, that part of this, that's when we had Andy O'Brien and Titus Bramble at the back. That's, you know, <laughs> But in the the front six or whoever we picked was fantastic. Um, Solano would would do it was brilliant, but would do a lot more hard work. You know, he'd cover for his fullback. He'd do what Andy Griffin again, awful, yeah. <laughs> awful yeah. defense. Um, so he'd do a lot of that hard work. But on the other side, Lauren Olivier Bernard, who was our left back at that time, must have had the just hardest job in football <laughs> because he was doing everything he could with Titus Bramble on next to him as well. Um, and there's one clip, which is, I think, I'm sure we got a free kick because Olivia Bernard had been fouled. I don't know who it was against. And as the ball was rolling towards him, Laurent Robert just kicked it as hard as he could. And it then smashed Olivia Bernard in the head. And Olivia Bernard gets, gets stumbles in quite a comedic way. A bit like Paul Olcock when uh, Paolo Di Canio pushed him over, just that gentle stumble back and then flopped on the floor. Then had to be like, have concussion test. If this was now, he would have had to be con- like a concussion sub because, yeah. and like three weeks off afterwards because there's there's no, no coming, but I'm surprised it didn't just take his head into the tine with the ball. Um, but just Laurent Robert is just how you wish you could play football. He just seemed to yeah. be doing what he wanted, scoring loads of goals, getting paid for it, being remarkably handsome. Like in his last appearance for Newcastle, he completely stripped down to his un, like <laughs> wife fronts to throw every every bit of kit into the crowd. Just a remarkable man. And um, yeah, just, just a fun footballer. Like I yeah. think that's, that's the thing about like football is supposed to be fun. Like mm. I know we get like we watch it and get wound up about it. And, you know, these people are supposed to be um, role models and they're supposed to act just the best way they can and turn up to training. But a lot of the time you want the maverick players because they, they bring yeah. the joy that we're supposed to get out of our hobbies. We're not supposed to, we work Monday to Friday on a Saturday. We're not then supposed to get really riled up by something we have chosen to do that we're not getting paid to watch or whatever. Yeah. It's supposed to have fun. And Laurent Robert brought, brought that, that fun to Newcastle. We didn't win anything. We haven't <laughs> won anything with better players and more disciplined players than him anyway. So what does it matter? You may as well have a yeah. laugh while you're doing it. And just, just a ridiculous footballer. Yeah. It's if he was on football manager, which he would have been, but it would have been championship manager. Like long shots, 20, but like teamwork <laughs> would have been about two. Yeah. Just, oh, what a what a player. Great player. Great name to have in the team. <laughs> Although uh, like you, that you're, you know, complaining about how lazy he was and, you know, how difficult it would have been for a left back and willing to put oh, yeah, yourself I'm... into that position. Gary speak, let's just put it this way. If, if the left-hand side is lower, uh, 
back. Gary Speed is going to have to do a lot of hard work covering yeah. that entire side of the pitch. But it's a risk I'm willing to take if it means that I get to play with uh, Philippe Albert and Robbie Solano and the two. TB, TBC at the moment. Back. Yeah. yeah, we're back then. Had a little bit of a blip. That's all right. I'll edit that out. Um, cool. So, Lauren Robert, left wing. We'll go to your strike partnership now. I mean, one of the names I'm pretty sure we know, but who is yep. partnering him up front? So, so right. Bear in mind that this is my my favourite Newcastle players, not necessarily yep. the best. And I really feel like I have to heavily caveat that because um, it's not Les Ferdinand, it's not Papi Cisse, it's not Denver Bar, it's not one of the really good, uh, really good strikers we had. So this one was a choice of um, three because the other striker picks himself, um, yep. not in the way that I've picked myself, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, so it was a choice of Les Ferdinand, um, Oberfemi Martins, and the player that I ultimately went for. Les Ferdinand, who, who was an incredible striker, his partnership with Alan Shearer was, was brilliant, and it must have been a nightmare to try and try and defend against the two of them bullying you. And then Oberfemi Martins, who was just a bit like uh, Lauren Robert, just get the ball onto his left foot and hit it as hard as he could. <laughs> Um, somewhere vaguely in the vicinity of the goal. Sometimes it went in, sometimes it didn't. Um, but the striker that I've ultimately picked, and again, bear in mind that this is my favourite Newcastle players, not necessarily the best Newcastle players, is Andy Carroll, um, who I absolutely adore. Um, <laughs> I think in, par- in part because I think Newcastle's youth system over the years has been massively underused. We had Waddle and, and uh, Gascoigne come through and Beardsley come through. Then we had like Steve Watson, Lee Clark, Rob Elliott come through. And then since then, it's been a bit slim picking. Shola Amiobi, um, Stephen Taylor, Paul Dummett. Um, but then we've always had these, like we've been told that, you know, Adam Armstrong is the next big thing out of Newcastle's yeah. Academy or Aaron Spears, the next big thing at Newcastle Academy, or Adam Campbell's, the, you know, the next big thing. And they've never come to anything. And so when Andy Carroll came through and was as good as we'd been told, because he, he was really good for Newcastle when he first came yeah. into the first team. And then he progressed when we were in the championship, scored a load of goals after he got into the team because Joe Ramiobi got injured. Then he, we gave him the number nine shirt and he's like, this Newcastle fan, come through the academy. Scored loads of goals, got the number nine shirt. The start, his start to his Premier League career was brilliant when we first came back up. And then Liverpool came in with a £35 million bid. And it's like, it's not his fault that he got bought for that amount of money. Yeah. So it would be hard for him to live up to it. But it was just a sh- it really felt a shame that when he left and went to Liverpool, he sort of became this running joke. Because as a Newcastle fan, you'd seen how when you play to his strengths, like we moved Joey Barton onto the right-hand side of midfield because his delivery into the box was the best that we had, just so we could sort of get Andy Carroll some more goals. So we played to Andy Carroll's strengths. And when we were doing that, he was really good. And Liverpool, unfortunately, for one reason or another, weren't able to replicate that. Luis Suarez came in at the same time. And obviously, Suarez was a fantastic player, less so a man. Um, But he's just wasn't able to hit the ground running and then injuries started piling up 
West Ham, you know, he'd scored some incredible overhead. Like to Andy Carroll, football is a big game of headers and volleys. He can either head it <laughs> or he can volley it. And he's, he's brilliant at both. And when he came back to Newcastle, I was so excited. I knew he wasn't the player that had left. He'd had injury problems, but it was just the fact that he was back at Newcastle. And we should have given him the number nine shirt and given Jolinton the number seven shirt. Um, but we did it the other way around, um, which impacted Jolinton as well. Uh, but Andy Carroll's just such a... He lived the dream I think a lot of Newcastle fans wish that they could have had. Yeah, you know, he was in the academy, came through the academy, broke into the first team, scored goals, got the number nine shirt that Alan Shearer had worn, scored for Newcastle in the Premier League. And it's just a shame that he wasn't able to continue that story with Newcastle. Well, New- partly Mark Ashley's choice to, to accept the £35 million bid, and we would have been silly not to at that point in time. You know, Andy Carroll didn't have to accept Liverpool's offer, but again, if he was being offered more yeah. in wages and a better chance to win trophies, football's a short career where you want to win trophies. So again, he would have been silly not to accept the opportunity, but just wish that he could have had a different end to it. And uh, maybe when he comes to join my ultimate 11, he will have that that success that he, I wish that he, he could have had. So and he scored, he played for, you know, it's not like he had a bad career. It's been mostly played in the Premier League. He's played for England, scored for England at a major tournament. Um, yep. So he's, he's done all right with, with what he's got. And uh, and he also grew an incredible moustache uh, sideburns <laughs> combination when he first came back to Newcastle. So that yeah. alone gets him. Him and, him and uh, Philippe Albert can share some facial hair grooming tips with one another. Um, so yeah, just, and, a, yeah. This... Some quite good hairstyles and facial hair going on in this team, actually. Yeah, you've got the sort of the good licks of Lauren Robert, the kind of uh, sort of exotic, uh, exotic stylings of Nobby Solano, and then yeah, Philippe Albert and Andy Carroll going absolutely rogue with their <laughs> facial, with hair the facial. And hairstyles. Yeah, yeah. It's got. It's always good to have at least one man bun in the yeah. team, and I think Andy That's Carroll true. can bring that. Bring that yeah. to him as well, because I'm certainly not. And he's going to get a lot of goals with Nobby Solano whipping balls in. And, yeah, and, and I, think I, like, I like the yeah, I like the way that you described it as well. Like, if as a Newcastle player, like he lived as a Newcastle fan, like lived the dream. I think that's because yeah, I I um like most football fans probably just sort of have a a quite a um tarnished view of his career, you know of him not really succeeding too much anywhere being kind of one dimensional, you know, uh, there was, we, uh, we obviously lived through the era of Peter Crouch, who was a bit of a joke at the time, but now I think people kind of have given him his credit and sort of come around to understand the fact that actually he was a really good footballer as well as, you know, a big man and scoring lots of goals. And I don't think the same can be said for Andy Carroll, which may or may not be unfair you know i don't i don't know enough about it but yeah live live the dream is uh is definitely warming me to him and i think like i say there's there's so many times and you're every football fan will have it because you're so in tune with like your academy and what's going on but i assume every 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 fan has like this is who the next big thing coming out of our youth team is and it's very rare 
like no no one will ever replicate what Manchester United did when but Neville, Neville, Scholes, Giggs, Beckham all came through their academy. So you might get one every five years that breaks through. I suppose that's a bit like what Southampton have with James Ward Prowse, like yeah. a player that's come through the academy, now captains the team, is really plays for England, is really good. Um, so that's sort of what we have with Andy Carroll. Um and especially after so many, you know, show the Ramiobi, you know, scored a decent amount of goals, but was never, never in contention of being an England international, would never have got a multi-million pound move to another club. And so when that happened with Andy Carroll, it is like, yeah, okay, we do have some talent. And Newcastle have never really maximised their talent in the area. Michael Carrick left to go elsewhere, even as far yeah. back as, yeah. you know, Bobby Charlton. Bobby Charlton went to Manchester United and he's from Ashington up in the northeast. So um, it would have... would. Mm-hmm was nice that we maximised that at, at some point. So, yeah, well, and, and speak, speaking of when it's gone wrong, yeah. Yeah, a surprising shout, but um, I'm coming around to it. I like it. Yeah. And then yeah. and so, alongside him, I think we all know who's going to be. We could probably, uh, we could probably sp- spend an entire podcast episode talking about the achievements of said striker. Um, so... I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you some quick fire ish questions about I'm presuming Alan Shearer, Hosselu, the former Stoke City uh, <laughs> Spanish striker. No, Alan, yeah, like I said, Alan Shearer, the, the uh, without a doubt the best yeah. um, player Newcastle have had in my lifetime. Again, I can't, you know, Jackie Milburn could have been better. Gaza, you know, might have had more talent, but Alan Shearer gave everything yeah. to be be a Newcastle legend. Okay, quick five questions about Shearer. Favorite goal? Um, I think it's probably I'd, I'd, he scored one against Aston Villa that Rob Lee set up, where it yeah. goes, you know, looped over uh, right to the far side, and Shearer scores past Peter Schmeichel in the Aston Villa goal, side foot volley, perfectly into sort of where the right into the corner of the 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 frame on the opposite side, and it beautiful beautiful goal. Yeah. Um, if you were gonna, if you were gonna buy Alan Shearer a drink, what drink would you buy him? Uh, whatever, whatever he wanted. Money is no object. If he, <laughs> if he wants the most expensive cocktail on the menu, I will remortgage my house and buy it for him. Um, I imagine he probably would. I don't know what he drinks. Yeah, probably would you Newcastle. You know, Nicky Brown. Newcastle now, Brown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder if it's a bit of a cliche. Yeah, and uh, that's all anyone ever buys him when they see him in a bar. Yeah, probably. Um, would you ever have him back as Newcastle manager? Um, I do think he got a bit of a short shrift when he was a Newcastle manager originally. I think he was on a hide into nothing, and he was basically a, a personality appointment. You know, yeah, he, he his his very existence in the dressing room should be enough to you know steer us towards safety so if he kept us up it would have been a miracle if we got relegated that's what we were going to do anyway um and he was all set to be Newcastle manager in the championship but things changed I think his time's probably passed I don't think he wants to be Newcastle manager anymore I think he'd make a fantastic um coach when you hear him talk about strikers on match the day and know about positioning and about things like that I think he'd be an incredible coach but um I don't think he has any interest in that anymore unfortunately yeah, I think you're right. I think that time has passed. Okay, final final Alan Shearer related question. If you could 
if you could trade the career that Alan Shearer had at Newcastle with all the goals and, you know, the legendary status that he had for, he played for Newcastle for a single, single season. He scored a handful of goals, you know, 15, 20 goals. He won the Premier League and then he committed all sorts of northeast of England-based atrocities. He set fire to the Angel of the North. He ran over Kevin Keegan. He, you know, swore off Newcastle Brown Ale, it moved to Sunderland. Like every, every possible sort of blasphemous thing that he could have done as a Newcastle fan... But, but you won the Premier League and he was he was the, the goal scorer in the season that you did that. Would you trade it? Um so if he if he joined Newcastle in 1996 and it was the 96-97 season, we won the title. Um I think, and this is probably uh, probably regret to say it, I think I would take that. So I support Newcastle because of Alan Shearer um, after Euro 96. So I, yeah. I would have become a Newcastle fan anyway. The 96-97 team, you know, Ginola Ferdinand Shearer, uh, Beardsley, Lee, Batty, you know, Albert, all that lot. If they won a title, that would have been really good because I love that group of players. But if he, it's really hard because I was, I was sort of with you until you said join Sunderland, and then it's like that would really, really t- like he's a Newcastle fan. Yeah. I was thinking of title. all the possible bad things that he could have done, and yeah, that sort of came to me at the end. That's, that's like the that's Angel of North being set on fire, but and if it was Alan Shearer that did it, that would have been quite you know funny <laughs> uh, in the newspapers. But until yeah, the Sunderland thing would be hard to stomach but then would Newcastle winning the title Shearer leaves we're at the top of the thing do we then buy Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo and then <laughs> be- in, to replace him and become you know incredibly you know we take Ronaldo we get Rivaldo maybe oh, it's you know we sat or we signed Dwight York and Teddy Sheringham and become yeah European champions SR is I think I'd probably take it just so we could say we won a trophy. Alan Shearer won a trophy. Then yeah. has two Premier League titles. I think I'd, I'd take it. And Newcastle have had plenty of players that have played for Sunderland as well as Newcastle. <laughs> although they are people like Jack Colback and Michael Chopra, so yeah. <laughs> not quite the level of Shearer. But I think I'd no. possibly take it. But I reserve the right to change my mind at any point. It just won't be recorded in a podcast form. <laughs> um, okay, fair enough. All right then. Well, before we get to the the most important decision I've ever had to make as host of this podcast, um, we'll go through uh, the rest of the selections you need to make. So, who's going to be your captain for your ultimate eleven? Um, probably. I, I'm going to say. I'm going to say Robert Lee because he was captain, um, okay. and, and he had it taken away from him for no good reason. <laughs> um, Alan Shearer will be vice captain, but I think if I can focus Alan Shearer more on scoring all the goals and let Rob Lee deal with, I think like he'd still be a captain on the pitch. You know, it's not just a ceremonial thing. It's about your attitude. So Rob Lee captain and Alan Shearer vice captain. Okay. Uh, And Penn's probably pretty obvious as well. (laughs) Yeah. Alan Alan Shearer is the greatest penalty taker. Scored the most goal penalties in the Premier League. Missed the most as well, but that's what happens when you've taken the most, I guess. That's true. Um, So, yeah, yeah. Alan Alan Shearer top bins every time. Shearer on pins. Uh, Free kicks. 
See, this is where it's difficult because there's four free yeah. kick takers in this team. <laughs> Trippier, Trippier, Solano, Robert and Shearer could take a good free kick as well. Um, I think I'd probably, it's, it's a toss up between Trippier and Solano and I'd probably go uh, Solano, I think. Solano set pieces. Um, uh, who's your assistant manager? So you are you are the manager and potentially player manager of the <laughs> Ultimate Eleven. Um, but which past or current Newcastle manager is going to be your assistant? Uh, John John Carver. Uh, because okay. no, um, <laughs> no, um, the greatest coach of all time. I think it's obviously a toss up between the two main. You know, Kevin Keegan or Sir Bobby Robson. And I think I will probably go with Sir Bobby Robson. I think he, his wealth of knowledge, his understanding of the game was probably slightly yeah. ahead of of Kevin Keegan's in sort of. Kevin Keegan was a really good motivator, um, really good at the, you know, coaching sort of stuff. But I think Bobby Robson has that air of sort of just gentlemanliness about him. And I think he'd be really, really nice to be able to work with. I think he'd be very giving of his time, very understanding that I have no clue how to do an offside trap, you know, train an offside trap. (laughs) Okay, cool. And the final decision you need to make is uh, which kit is your Ultimate Eleven going to be wearing? Uh, It's got to be black and white stripes, which unfortunately rolls out the away kit from 1995, the maroon and blue. Um, And so I think I would go with the home kit from 98-99, which again, the one I mentioned earlier, the last... Newcastle Brown Ale sponsored kit. It's black and white, but it has a blue trim. And hopefully I can get one that fits me this time if I'm to <laughs> be selected. And Solano can maybe have my old one that doesn't quite fit me. <laughs> okay, that is a classic kit, actually, as well. That's a good chat. All right. Your your work is done. My work begins. I'm going to read your team back to you. And I'm going to make a judgment call when we get to the left back. But Starting in goal, you've got Shea Gibbon. Right to left, you have a back four of Kieran Trippier, Nikos Dabazas, Philippe Albert, and and I do you know I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I cannot. I I just it opens me up to too many controversial selections in the future. I'm, I'm sorry, Johnny. I, as much as I wish you were, you are not an ex Newcastle United player, and therefore you cannot be selected for a Newcastle United Ultimate Eleven. So your left back is, I'm, I'm afraid to say, John Beresford. I, I, I'm sorry. You can be. I think I'm going to make you owner, director, and mascot instead. If if, if that helps. Thank you. Me, me and Monty Magpie will walk around the pitch before the game, <laughs> waving at all the children. Um, so moving forward, you've got uh, Nobby Solano, right midfield. He's also taking your free kicks. Rob Lee, captain, uh, alongside Gary Speed in the middle. Lauren Robert, left wing. And then up front, Alan Shearer, your penalty taker. And Andy Carroll, Bobby Robson, Sir Bobby Robson, alongside you in the dugout as assistant manager. And your team will be wearing the home kit from 1998-99 season with the Newcastle Brown Ale, the final Newcastle Brown Ale sponsorship on the front. How do you feel about that team, apart from obviously the the disappointment of missing out? 
Well, obviously gutted as manager to have been dropped by myself. <laughs> so, uh, very, You've only got yourself to blame. <laughs> I know. Should have, should have done better in training, really, shouldn't I? Should have actually turned up. Um, no, I'm delighted with that. Uh, delighted with that team. Um, a lot of, again, all my favourite players um, over the years. And uh, just, just hope that they can win something yeah. together. Fingers crossed. They're going to win the fictional title. Yes. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for taking us through that. It was a real pleasure chatting to you. Uh, and yeah, I hope you've enjoyed your time on Ultimate Eleven. Thank you so much for inviting me. I hope uh, hope those big decisions like dropping Newcastle legend Johnny Sharples don't come around too often for you. 